Hear these words from the psalmist calling us into worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those He he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. May we all realize those are words calling us all from every point in the spiritual and emotional compass to come and be redeemed by God's amazing grace and to celebrate the power of God's great blessing. Let those who are able stand, but come now together with a great enthusiasm and voice. Let us worship the living God. Lord, the abundance that we have is more than we even know. For what you have given us is far more than we hold in our hands and return to you. What we have is life eternal and the abundance of your grace and mercy that meet us every day. So take who we are and what we bring and empower us by your Holy Spirit to bring ourselves every day to the throne of your grace and the foot of the cross that the world may see that pathway and come to you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, we're in uh, John's Gospel, and we are in what is called the Upper Room Discourse. It's the night in which Jesus was betrayed and prepared to give himself up for us all. And we hear... These words, after he has spoken about the paraclete, the the supporter, the encourager, the advocate, the one who comes alongside us to remind us of everything that God has done for us. These are the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples, and in turn, through the power of his Holy Spirit in this written word to us. Listen to God's word as I read it for us. John 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
I have said these things to you so that my joy, my joy, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God richly add his blessing to us as his branches as we attend to his word. Let's pray. Father, your Holy Spirit is here right now alongside us and in us, wooing us and drawing us to your word. So let it come now, not only in the spoken word, but in the power of your Holy Spirit with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. As we so often say when we attend to God's Word, again, it is the case here, context is everything. The context in which the Word is spoken, the situation and what is happening in that moment is everything. So think about it. What we've just read, when does it happen? When does it take place? Hours before. Just a few hours before Jesus is arrested and beaten, and what else? Taken to the cross. Why? To be our once and for all atoning sacrifice for the sin and for the debt that separates us from God because that is what we need more than anything. So that being the case, and knowing that that's what's going to happen, Jesus is fully aware of what's taking place and what is unfolding. He's already said to Judas, what you must do, go do quickly. In these moments, Jesus is not wasting words. This is not what so often passes for the communication that we hear today, like... uh, So, did you see the latest sitcom last night, huh? How about that? How about them giants? No. Jesus is talking about matters of life and death. He's talking about what will keep his hearers alive and living into what he will do for them. He's saying, when you attend to this, when this becomes not just your theology, but your biography, then the cross will mean something to you. He's not talking about some sort of temporary, temporal solution. He's not talking about some sort of human psychological or or physical fix. Rather, he knows that there isn't time for this. And he knew that it would be meaningless in any event. What, What if he'd said, hey, Guess what? I'm leaving you a million bucks. Just help yourself. That's just it. We can't help ourselves. And a million bucks or a bazillion bucks or whatever you want to put on it in this world is not enough. No. In fact, a friend of mine, Pastor Hilda Pecorero, some of you know her, said this week, you know what? I'm learning, the older I get, 
more and more not to get sucked into discussions, and that's a gentle word, discussions about political solutions. Because they are about a temporal answer to an eternal need. Isn't that it? Jesus is not giving them what they think they need. He's not telling them how to go snuff out Pilate. He's not telling them about a strategy for overcoming the Roman Empire. No, he's giving them more than that. What Jesus is telling them is exactly what will be entrusted to us ultimately. And because of what he is telling them, that eternal gift happens. Think about it. There's, at that point, 11 people in the room. Judas has already gone to tell the bad guys. He says, you're going to do something profound, and it's going to change the world, and that's why we're here today. Because those 11 hearers became learners, as Jesus said. You'll be my disciples. That's what disciple means. And you know what? It's going to change the world. And it has. And you and I know about it because they went out and trusted Jesus. They made who he was their address. Remember when you were a little kid, one of the first things you learned was your address and your telephone number in case you got lost, right? In, in my town, there's a great story, the town I grew up in, about a little boy who got lost. And in his despair and his discouragement, he forgot his address. And he forgot his phone number. But in my town, on top of the hill, above everything else, is a cross. And he said to the police officer who was trying to get him home, just take me to the foot of the cross. I'll be able to see my house from there. Okay. Jesus says, don't forget your address. And that is his, their address is Jesus. Their address is the foot of the cross. Don't run away from it. And because they did, and because Jesus didn't, they knew where they lived and where they were to live forever. He became their identity. He can be our identity they learned that being in Christ was a place to live. Jesus said, abide. We don't use that word too much anymore. I love that great hymn, abide in me. You see, in this crazy world, and I don't know if any of you have picked up on it, but this is a crazy world. Really crazy. In this crazy world, our only hope, if you don't get anything else today, get this. Our only hope is to learn day by day, season by season, experience by experience, what it means to very practically, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, financially, psychologically, civilly, there's a lost word, abide in Jesus Christ. Because until we are abiding in Jesus Christ, until He is our address, our residence, our everything that we do and think, until He is the filter through which everything in our lives happens, we will not be home. We will not have hope. 
Jesus says it so beautifully and directly. Think about it. This is the God of the universe. And he's speaking to you and me. He says, I am the vine. Get this? You're not. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me. Not visit me. Not wave as they go by. Those who abide in me and I in them. Is Jesus living in us? Is he abiding in us? Those people bear much fruit. He says, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow, that's good. That's good news. Because if we're trying to do something, anything, apart from him, he's made it real clear, it's not going to work. Now, we could say, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. That's not true. Lots of people do lots of stuff who don't believe any of this. Right? Right? But get this. Will those things last? Will the things that the people and the situations and the nations of our world last if they're not in Jesus Christ? There's an old saying. Only one lifetime. And soon, it will be past. Only what's done in Jesus will last. Are we spinning our wheels? Are we investing in living in Him? Does what we are doing lead to the only life there really is? Does what we do and how we live connect us to the, the very source and giver of life? Think about it. What are we spending our time and money on? What's waking us up at 2 o'clock in the morning? This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He is exclusively inclusive. Only Jesus can include us in the hope of forever. No, nothing, no one nothing, will, will do that. Jesus is saying that who he is and what he does for us is the only thing that matters or ever will matter because you know why? He is life. He is life. Nothing else is. John began this letter. We've been, for those of you who are visiting, we've been going through the entire Gospel of John, and John began this letter by saying, in him, in Jesus, in God, was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So he acknowledges that there is dark. And the only way to make it through the dark is to do what? Abide in Jesus Christ. Notice he does not say, abide in television. Abide in the evening news. Abide in Facebook. Abide in Visa. Abide in addiction. Abide in food. He doesn't say any of that. One thing. Abide in me. And the encouragement, the invitation is, therefore, to discover what it means to truly abide and take up residence in Jesus Christ. Because he is exclusively inclusive. Jesus knows that darkness is coming. On this night, 
What does he know? What's going to happen? First of all, he knows he's going to be abandoned. By who? The people closest to him. Not just Judas. Peter, James, and John. They're all going to go away. And then what's going to happen? Can I put it in real practical terms? He's going to get the crap beat out of him. Okay? I just know a nice way to put it. And I don't think we should put it nicely. Because that's exactly what happened. By who? He's going to get turned over to who, first of all? Who takes him? The Jews. His own people. And, then, and they're, they're so cowardly, oh, we couldn't kill him. The Romans would get us for that. Or they've got, really got some strength of their convictions, right? So what do they do? They turn him over to the Romans. And the Romans go, we don't care. It's just one of your guys. Just, we don't care about your rules. All right, we'll kill him. Jesus knows this injustice, this brutality is going to fall upon him, and he goes for it anyway. Why? Because he knows what his disciples are going to face, and he knows that we will face it. And into this reality, he says what? Abide in me. Whoa, wait a minute. If we abide in him, what's going to happen to us? We may get beat up, right? The world may turn against us, right? Yeah. But if we're living in Jesus Christ, what difference does it make? The world cannot do anything to us. Jesus says, in this world, just a few verses later, you will have trial, but what? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How? By going to the cross and not by anything less than going to the cross and being willing to die, and he's calling us to do the same. This is the basis of the gospel that so easily gets overlooked. What does it mean to abide or reside in Jesus Christ anytime, but particularly in 2019 and in our context where human solutions are passing for eternal problems? You see, to begin with, abiding in Jesus means learning that it means that it is always going to be a lifelong way of submission and humility, of continually obeying and saying, what do you want to do in this chapter of my life? What do you want to do with this thing that's eating at me? What are you going to do with this injury? What are you going to do with this injustice that's come upon me? I am completely and totally at your direction. Do you know why I know that this is what Jesus has called us to do? Do you know why? Because that's what he showed us that night. You know, he could, have pl- he could have played the Jesus card. He could have said, do you know who I am? He could have called out a legion of angels. He could have said, Peter, put your sword away. Watch this. <laughs> Zap the whole crew. But he didn't. Always. Always. He was continually deferring to the Father when he could have said, I got this, Dad. How many of us have done that? To our human parents as well as to our heavenly parent. Oh, I got this. Don't worry about it. I, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be fine. How does that work? Jesus was and is co-equal with the Father, but he knew that in his role as the Messiah, the Savior, the Prophet, the Priest, the King, 
He could only be who we needed him to be by doing what? Submitting to the Father's direction for our sake. And that is precisely what it means to abide in Jesus Christ. To submit to the Father's direction. To be humbled. To put our rights and our privileges aside. To think more of the mission of the gospel and others than of ourselves. To check our contempt our anger, our pride at the door, and to go out in the name of Jesus, abiding in his humble spirit, to serve in his name and to grow in his grace as we do this. It's a never-ending learning time. What's it look like? Sounds pretty fancy, doesn't it? But what does it look like? I'm, I'm sure for each of us, God has different ways Because we're all in different places. We're all different people. But for all of us, going out in Jesus' name begins with doing something that is quite foreign to our culture. And that is talking to Jesus all the time. That's where it begins. Talking to Jesus all the time. And perhaps more significantly, instead of talking, listening to his humble and humbling spirit Putting aside, it means putting aside our busy, anxious spirits and letting His Spirit come in and rule over our own. I remember when I was growing up, this is for real, my mom would walk around, and even when we were driving around, that was the real scary part when we were driving, and she would be whispering the name of Jesus. And when she was driving, I thought, oh gosh, we're going to crash. <laughs> I guess I thought she was kind of out there. But, but I have learned that the more I fall in love with who Jesus is, the more I fall in love with the fact that God has come looking for me in Jesus Christ, the more I begin to realize what my mom was doing, and more to the point, what was happening to her, because I find myself doing, you know what, exactly the same thing. When something painful or perplexing, or maddening, is washing onto the shore of my life and causing me to be turned inside out, without even realizing it, I am learning to speak the name of Jesus out loud. And then I find myself listening to what He has for me in the face of whatever is going on. And that is what it means to abide in Jesus Christ Jesus shows us that apart from him, we can do nothing that really amounts to what he tells us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, get this, ask whatever you will. Ask whatever you will and guess what? It will be done to you and for you. Now, this isn't what it sounds like. We think it sounds like a genie in a bottle, right? Oh, cool. And he would give us whatever we imagine. But Jesus says that when we are abiding in him, and his words are abiding in us, whatever we ask will be done for us. But here's the key. We will get whatever we ask when we are living in Christ, and his words are living in us because 
when this is happening, the only things we ask for or imagine will be the things he brings into our hearts. Jesus does not bring in anger. Jesus does not bring in contempt. Jesus does not bring in lust or discomfort or disease. He might bring in discomfort if we're getting comfortable with the things of this world. But he will bring into our hearts the longing for his perfect will. And that's a very practical thing. Has to do with refrigerators. Has to do with shopping. Has to do with our imaginings. You see, anything less than what he wants for us isn't meant for us. Anything less than what Jesus Christ wants for you and me is not meant for us. Not even a little bit. He says it will be thrown away. In fact, you know what he says will happen to it? It'll be burned up. We might might think, oh yeah, but I'm driving my big fancy life. Looks pretty cool. Guess what? It's going to go away. Only what's done in Jesus will last. Nothing that will separate us from the will of God is going to be left. The only thing that's going to be left is His love for us. So here is abiding in Christ today. To abide in Jesus means today what it has always meant. Guess what? Getting pruned back. And this, in this in our give me more culture, that's not our instinct. In our culture, it's give me more. Bigger is better. More is better. But that being pruned back is exactly what we need. Our need is to place our good, those good things, on the altar of God's best. God says, well, that's okay. But how about letting me give you the very best? This is what Jesus showed us. He was good like no one has ever been good, but the best was for him to give us who he was in order to make us who we cannot make ourselves, but who we need to be. And that's what he died for. The longer I live, the more I know there needs to be less and less of me and more and more of Jesus. Bottom line. And this only happens when I am daily, not monthly, not just on Sunday, daily letting everything I am about, everything I face, be filtered through the pruning of God's will until you can't see me anymore. But you can start to see Jesus. Is that what's happening for us? We are not made to be disconnected to Jesus. I hear sometimes people say, oh, I need to go get my spiritual batteries charged up. You know the problem with that? We were never meant to be disconnected. We do not have a direct current operating system. All right? We are meant to be hooked up all the time. And we might say, well, I can't get very far that way. You better believe that's right. We're not supposed to get very far. The only power we have comes from staying connected to Jesus Christ. That means learning to be still in Him when the waves of this life are seeking to pull us out and take us out looking for something else. 
other than refuge in him. Taking refuge in Jesus is being a branch that knows its source of life. It means knowing we were never meant to be disconnected. And the temptations of this world are those parasitic things that the Father simply says, you know what? I'm cutting this off. You know why? It's going to kill you. Oh, but it looks so good. It feels so good. No, it's going to kill you. Snip. Because they are taking us away from relationship with himself. To be growing vines will mean to learn to love the Father's ways with us. Oh, you need, to, you need to prune me back? You need to tell me to start listening and stop talking? Yeah, yeah. I love that. We will learn to love, to seek the face and will of Jesus before caving into our own wills and compulsions and insecurities and angers. That's what abiding in Jesus is about. And the joy that Jesus says will be in us comes from our being where? In him. In anger? In lust? In wandering about? No. Our joy will come from being in him. And this means learning to live a new life with a new identity and a new address. This new identity comes from learning to rejoice that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. How often does pride get in the way and go, ah, I did it my way? Instead of saying, he did this. He did this. Everything. Let me finish with this. Recently, my college roommate, Dave White, who is a blueberry farmer and knows something about vines and pruning, just this last week, Dave went to a memorial service for a 54-year-old friend. Wake up and smell the coffee, folks, if you're around that age or less or more. He suddenly died, the friend died suddenly of, of a blood disorder. And at that memorial service, that funeral, the pastor told of a clock that was one of those creative inventions from the sharper image. You ever go in that store, the sharper image? It's all kinds of goofy, crazy, cool stuff. And this invention was a clock. And you programmed the clock with your age and how long you think or how long the actuarial charts say you will live. And then you know what the clock does? It starts counting backward. Whoa. You know how many they sold? None. <laughs> Nobody wanted to know how long they had left. Huh? No one bought it. But, get this, what if we did? What if we got one of these spiritual backward clocks and lived realizing that as vines connected to Jesus, the time we have is to prepare us and others to live in him for how long? Forever. What if the clock reminded us this is not our home, that the life we have is the one he has died to give us? How would we then use our time? How joyful would we become looking at those numbers going, hey, it's going down, it's going down. I'm getting closer to graduation. Woohoo! Our countdown to eternity. It's going to be okay. My friends, our joy and promise comes from letting our lives 
be lives that are putting deeper and deeper roots into the vine of Jesus Christ. It is as our branches grow through living in Christ that God can prune us back to make us stronger and more fruitful for His glory. And maybe you've never seen it this way. Maybe you've never thought that the hard things in life are the best things in life. Maybe the world's values have kept us from trusting Jesus to be our only source of strength and hope and peace. But Jesus shows us with his own life, by his living and his willingness to die, but this is the only way to live. Counting backward, letting him take us down, take us where we need to be. Isn't today, isn't today the day in this Lenten journey where we learn to let ourselves be cut back and rejoice in what the backward clock is telling us? Isn't this the time to do that? I know it is. And I know we need all of us to live into this. So may today be that day for God's glory. And may it cause us to rejoice in our new identity and our new address. And all of you remember your childhood phone number. But let's remember our grown-up address, our forever address, is Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for making this so very clear that we belong to you and only in you. Let us delight in that. Come and do whatever you need to do in us. Make, make our hearts to whisper and our voices to speak your name in the face of everything we face. And may the world be drawn to you as we are drawn there for your purpose. In your precious name we pray. Amen. My friends, may, as we go out of here today, may we realize who we are in Jesus Christ. And may, th may we therefore realize we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it. And therefore, go joyfully in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.